Welcome to First Time Lord. I'm Daniel Levain, and as the title of the podcast implies, I am a first-timer in that I had never seen Doctor Who until I started this podcast, and now every week I sit down, watch an episode, and then I get somebody wiser, smarter, and more well-versed in the Doctor Who of it all to make sense of the episode, to get the most out of each episode, and to just share in the excitement and the fun that is Doctor Who. And this week we are talking about the 2009 special Planet of the Dead. And when it comes to specials, there's only one person that I can think of, and that is Eric Sweetman. Oh, why thank you, sir. Glad to be back. Very glad to have you. Uh, it is exciting. You, you you've been kind of missing in action this uh, this series. We we didn't have you, but on the first episode. So, welcome well, back. I'm, I'm assuming that means you've got more friends that want to be part of this, that want to sit there on your virtual couch and check out these episodes, and you know you're you're gaining more followers and more friends to uh, to hang out with. So I'm. <laughs> I have my reservations set for, you know, the first episode of the season, but you know, beyond that, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm not as, uh, as vital to the show dynamic anymore. Oh, you are always <laughs> vital. And, uh, we are glad to have you here, uh, for what it was a, a very unique episode. Uh, so dear listener, if you haven't already, uh, please Pause the podcast and take a minute to watch the Planet of the Dead because in our conversation, we will inevitably reveal the plot of the episode and we don't want to rob you of that uh, experience. So here's your opportunity. Now let's just jump into it. it this, this episode starts in a very unique way. Yeah, um, yeah I mean... It's not exactly unique for television shows in general or movies, but it's different for a Doctor Who episode. So this thing, yeah, if dear listener, if you've seen this, you know that it starts with uh, um, a heist. You know, somebody opens up the ceiling, drops down Mission Impossible style, gets in between lasers and all these things to uh, to keep somebody from getting into this exhibit and grabs a gold object and then shoots back up to the ceiling. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, uh, a different approach for Dr. Who, but uh, Dr. Who is nothing if not a flexible base <laughs> to take all sorts of different story ideas from. Yeah. Uh, I just, it, it was weird because this is, you know, it feels like this is a character that is a little, uh, ambiguous when it comes to their morality. Uh, and usually the doctor deals in absolutes when it comes to that. You're either good or you're bad. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's no room for, for middle ground there. It's just it's all good or it's all bad. And uh, so it was interesting. Uh, it was also interesting that, you know, we kind of went back. Uh, the the setting uh, kind of opens in the same area as we did with the uh, the first episode of The Ninth Doctor, where we're in that sort of middle of London, you know, London Eye area. Uh, and then immediately when you leave the, uh, the museum, then, you know, you're in that double-decker like 
double-decker tour bus kind of thing, uh, which, I, I don't know, it felt very evocative of that first season, that first series, that first episode. I think that there may have been um, some extra reasons behind that. You know, they are introducing a character and, you know, the the uh, Christine, I guess, or Christina? Something Christina, like yeah. Christina, you know, she is she is a thief, but she's got, you know, a good heart in there someplace. And she has this sense of adventure that makes her um, rather similar to Rose. Oh, and yeah. So <laughs> you get that, that vibe going off that these two uh, characters have connected in a way that um, sort of sparks the the banter between them, the uh, that that level of comfort. And perhaps maybe it becomes too comfortable for the doctor. Like mm-hmm. he's still hurting. He's not ready to move on to something else like this, but he also can't help himself because it's his personality to engage with those kind of personalities. Right. Now, uh, almost, you know, almost immediately once they're both in the bus, uh, he's got that device. Is that the same device that he used and concocted in an earlier episode this series? Do you remember? I do not remember. I doubt it, but it's, it's entirely possible. Um, you know, since uh, Russell Davies was still doing all the show at this point, yeah, there's a lot of little subtle things that he might put in one episode that don't pay off until three or four oh, right. seasons later, really. He's, he was very good about uh, giving us um, little Easter eggs that he would follow up on. Yeah, the, um, the long con, as I call it, because, man, that guy lays down little breadcrumbs throughout yeah. So, what was the uh, the other episode that you were thinking? The, what was... I think uh, he created a couple of devices. I want to say it was the the episode where um, oh, I'm blanking on the name of it now. Uh, the episode where uh, Rose gets trapped inside the TV. Uh, okay. He makes a device, and then there's one of the episodes with um, with Martha where he concocts some sort of device uh, to sniff out you know, alien life or whatever, uh, in the past, but, uh, it just, it seemed very, uh, it it seemed very familiar. The, the, Mm. the device seemed very familiar. Um, but as we see in the episode, it's used to detect, uh, some sort of anomaly. Um, you know, these types of episodes I always enjoy because there's all that, uh, gibberish, like star, uh, not star Warsy, but that like sci-fi, Star Trek talk. Yeah. It's like activate the dilithium crystals and, you know, reverse the polarity, <laughs> <laughs> reverse the polarity of this, the, the flingula flanglings and the, you know, change the muffle bearings while you're at it. You know, uh, there's a lot of that conversation happening, which, uh, is kind of fun. You know, <laughs> it's fun to see that. Uh, but he's, you know, he's doing something, he detects something and then boom, this double decker bus disappears and reappears in the middle of the desert. Yeah. And it was an actual <laughs> desert. They went on location. They did not film that in London it was or not, any part of England. <laughs> it was not filmed in Cardiff in a, nope. in a soundstage? No, no. Yeah. They, that, was, that would be some impressive blue screen, let me tell you. <laughs> well, they, I mean, you know, matte they, paintings are a thing. <laughs> Yeah, they are a thing, but no, not this thing. 
they actually went out on location. I, I'm trying to remember, like probably Tunisia, I think it was. But uh, really? yeah, they they went there and did an episode. They went there I'm and did an sure, episode. Not sure what the point was, but they did. Well, I mean, uh, as uh, as Ashley pointed out in last week's uh, TARDIS tidbits, you know, this is the first episode that is shot in high definition. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so this is the first episode that went from the standard, uh, you know, however many I forget, it was uh, it was scanned lines as opposed to uh, HD, which is all in pixels. Uh, but you know, th- maybe they they wanted to take the show off uh, off of the the conventional places and be like, let's show off the fact that we're shooting with this newfangled technology called high definition. All the way, you know, in, in 2009. Well, yeah, they they were kind of pioneer stuff. And they, they I think that doesn't quite make it what it advertised itself as, though, is special. You know, I'm not <laughs> sure if that's the reason. And, you know, to be honest, special, it's more of the, um, that whole last season of David Tennant was broken up into these very few episodes. So they all being stretched out over the course of the last year or so they weren't uh, frequent enough to be considered a season or a series so they Mm. were just a handful of specials and um i think what may have been part of their motivation was maybe this was supposed to be a backdoor pilot to a series with uh christina de souza the but she also i think was working on um bionic woman at the time this is uh what michelle ryan is her name i, I think so sure great yeah we <laughs> we'll just say yes and then if we'll edit that out if we have to later <laughs> or you will but uh yeah so the actress was uh um kind of a uh you know she was a very attractive up-and-coming um adventure star you know going for these uh these science fiction shows unfortunately the uh bionic woman only lasted for the one season and this thing didn't go any further as a uh um, as a series idea either um but i've seen her in some in a couple of other things so you know at least she's been working a little bit um i I mean she 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 was quite interesting and definitely you know, I, I I could see how she was being sort of set up as the next, um, quote unquote, the next companion. Um, mm-hmm. You know, which I don't know how to feel about it because, like you said, you know, it is it is obvious that she is definitely warming up to the doctor, and the doctor is, uh, well, he's not saying no. You know, it's uh, he he's consenting, but he's not necessarily uh, comfortable with the situation uh and certainly you know if we jump to the end uh he does say no he absolutely he says yep i am saying no uh which in doctor who episodes past and certainly you know in in previous uh versions of this doctor he would have immediately jumped at the chance you know here's the person that was uh absolutely ready to go adventuring with him and he he would absolutely have just yep let's go let's do this let me show you my TARDIS let me show you how the inside is bigger let's go off in this adventure uh, and you know like you said he's still clearly feeling that loss uh, he's feeling that 
uh, in this in this episode, it almost sounded like betrayal a little bit. Like he genuinely felt uh, hurt when they all left him uh, or when he lost them. Uh, like he says at the end of this episode, I lost them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just not, he's not there. Uh, so it, it was interesting how this whole thing got set up because there were definitely moments where you could see they were uh, teasing it out. You know, it was like, we're made for each other. You know, when he says, allons-y, and then she, you know, follows it up with an entire, uh, you know, French yeah, sentence. A long French <laughs> sentence, yeah. It's like, oh, hey, somebody who speaks it. All right, cool. Oh, right, right. right. <laughs> and, and he says it. We are made for each other. Uh, but he says it in that way that the doctor says things, you know, very much in jest, very much a, uh, like, I'm just having fun here kind of thing. Uh and you know, yeah, he's doing it in a way that is like, let's just test the waters. Let's just, uh, you know, uh, I think what happens aside from just, you know, that, that very clear loss of, of, uh, of Rose and everything, um, his, his situation here is like, you know, it is that he's got his moral compass. And so this is somebody who wants to have the adventure as a thief because of the adventure. She doesn't need it for the money or for um, justice. She -hmm. wants it for the thrill. And so I think there is a uh, calculated um, thought process of if I bring this person on and we go through time, through history to see these things, to go because he's always either saved people and fixed things or just intended to be an observer mm-hmm. and not wanting to be involved. He isn't trying to take over stuff and he only does it because every place he goes, he ends up having to. Mm-hmm. But if this is somebody whose history, whose own personal history is to uh, steal, then who's to say that she wouldn't be doing that later as well? You know, there's something about that that changes the style of going for the adventure. You know, it's like doing it out of education and curiosity versus doing it for the money. Well, and, and like I said, the the doctor uh, sometimes uh, very much has a uh, it's, it's a clear black and white. It's, you know, <laughs> it's very binary. It's either you're good or you're bad. Um, you're, you know, you're for, you stand for good and everything that is, uh, correct in the universe, or you are evil and, uh, you know, therefore there's justification for foiling your plan and, or, you know, completely annihilating you and destroying you. Uh, and she is that sort of unique character that is a little more morally ambiguous, which while it was interesting to see how she interacted with the doctor, I'm glad that ultimately the doctor's like, no, you're not for me because the doctor, at least for me, the doctor needs to be more binary. That's where he's at his best is when he is very clear, uh, about, what he wants, what he wants to do, and how he wants to handle the situation. Uh, and 
having a morally ambiguous companion, I think, could possibly corrupt the doctor in a way that I just don't want to see him do. Yeah, that would sort of send him down the path of the master. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the uh, we've seen how, you know, through his companions, Rose, Martha, Donna, he has become a different, better person, you know. And in turn, you know, Donna became a better person. Martha certainly found her way. And Rose ultimately ended, you know, a, a much more grown-up, much more, uh, in, in my opinion, a much more interesting character than she started out to be. Right. Uh, so, you know, I it would have been interesting to see what would have happened had she, had the doctor not said no. But at the same time, I, I fear that that would have also corrupted the doctor in ways that I would not have enjoyed. So I'm, I'm glad that that happens. Uh, let's talk about the, uh, the I guess the... They're not villains. They're antagonists. The you know, what was the name of the rays? Do you remember? What the, 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 the fly people? No, the, the, the metal the, exoskeleton like nah, flying stingray shark the, people. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't remember their name, but uh, yeah, they beautiful design, primitive uh, CGI. <laughs> True, uh, but again, 2009 and television right. 2009, you know. Right, I'm just thinking of it as like what stands the test of time where a lot of the uh, the Doctor, um, like with this series, you know, since it was rebooted, um, it has this beautiful um, uh, costumes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Their special effects, their practical effects are wonderful. Their CGI is growing you know it's like they, they keep trying they keep doing things and again at the time oh yeah this was really quite something and i remember when i first saw this episode it was a uh, you know rather intense rather like oh my god that thing's scary now i look at it, it's like that thing is uh yeah that's a bad cg <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah it's uh, fine it's just not it hasn't aged as well as practical stuff can the uh, part of uh, I've said this from the word go, you know, part of the anticipation that I had about this show was that uh, I would get to see sort of cheesy effects, uh, mm. cheesy costumes, cheesy sets. And to, uh, you know, to some extent, yes, that has been accurate. You know, they're, they do have a lot of physical sets where you know they just throw conduit everywhere and some broken cables and it's like there it's the future or here it's a spaceship uh and i appreciate that that's part of the charm of the episode um but i'm also uh you know dear listener if you ever have heard uh, eric and i talk about movies uh in our other podcast my favorite movie podcast Available plug, at my plug, favorite movie podcast.com. <laughs> um, you know, I, I also talk about how sometimes, uh, you know, people really come down on special effects because, ooh, they have not, you know, they look so cheesy now. But the whole point is, how do they look when they came out and do they service the story? And from that perspective, these guys do really well. The, you know, they they definitely, they, they they look like interesting aliens. Like you said, it's a, it's a really interesting concept. Uh, you know, they, they look like a mixture of a stingray and a shark, but they're in space and they fly and their bones and their exoskeleton is made out of metal. 
Right. And then they faster they go over a surface. Yeah, you know, one, they consume everything, especially metals, so that that's why their bones are made out of it. But then when they reach a certain amount of speed, it creates a wormhole, and that's how they get to their next um, planet to feed on. They are not evil. They're just biological. You know, they are a thing that happens. It is not planned. And they're parasitic. They're like a a parasite, you know, they, they do their thing and they, you know, that's all they do is just their thing. Um, but you mentioned the, 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 the fly people every time, you know, pre seeing them in the episode, you know, we, we see their hands and we hear their clicking sounds Yeah. and every time they pointed at the screen, I was like, okay, something's up with this girl. Like, this girl's clearly an alien of some sort because they always pointed at her on the screen, mm. which, you know, I thought, it's like, okay, this is clearly, this is where we're going. And, of course, I should know by now that Russell T. Davies is never going to just make things uh, play out the way, you know, if, if I think it's going to play out one way, chances are that's not the way it's going to go. And so when we finally have that moment, uh, where she's going down the shaft and she's doing, you know, another Mission Impossible kind of thing. I was like, oh, okay, she's just a normal person. Why was the thing? Oh, okay, the thing that's so important, the thing that the aliens kept pointing at is going to be the artifact she's carrying. And none of that pans out. Like, absolutely nope. none of it. Like, it was nope. in, all it was, it was all a red herring. And I felt so sheepish at the end of the episode. I was like, wow, I just, like, I really like overthought that, like the the entire thing. I overthought it, um, but to the to that effect, the artifact that she had been carrying, this you know chalice of blah blah blah, uh, it's hilarious. She's like, you know, this is an ancient piece of artifact. It's so important. Please be careful. And he's like, oh, I will. And then immediately starts banging the crap out of it. <laughs> yep. Well, you know, it's like here's lives. These lives, the people who are on that bus. So, you know, anybody who wasn't, you know, we are not setting this stuff up while we're bouncing around from topic to topic in front of the movie or show to the back, whatever. The the bus wasn't just them. So they had people who were being affected by this, people who had lives that they would like to get back to back right. on in London. And he had promised, the doctor promised that he would get them home. And that's the one thing that when the doctor promises, there is nothing in the universe that will stop him from keeping his promise. Well, he promised he wouldn't hurt the chalice either. But to your point, as he's servicing the, he's saving life. Life is more important than artifacts and things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I like the little bit that we got. uh, And I'm going to ask this uh, of you, sir. Uh, He mentions how... He's a bit of a thief because his little blue box, he stole that he from stole. his people. Yes. So is is he just being coy or is that a fact? No, that's exactly what happened. He stole the TARDIS and um, I think he was bored. And so he, he took it. It was available and he wanted to go and see the rest of the universe. So that was the way to do it. And he got away from the rather repressive um, society he lived in. Mm. You know, this is this is um, now dates all the way back to the original doctor, the first doctor. By repressive, you mean the Gallifreyans or yes. the the Time Lords? 
well, the Time Lords are the Gallifreyans, but yeah, the Time Lord society is rather rigid. Well, because I, I, I gathered that ways. you to be a Time Lord, you have to be Gallifreyan, but not all Gallifreyans are Time Lords. Because not all Gallifreyans have looked into the vortex like the doctor and the master did. Mm. Well, or is this me overthinking again? And Russell T. Davies would uh, would it might show be me off. <laughs> yeah, it might be overthinking because in some cases, hey, a cigar is just a cigar. But uh, I feel like yeah, it's possible that to to be part of this council or whatever else you know those elders who were the time lords this is the way that they said things must be you know you probably need to go through the rituals but uh that ritual was just such a overwhelming part of the society that you know if you did not fit into the expectations that they had into the position you know kind of think of it like uh like um, Krypton and, and uh, Joel and all that. Yeah, these are yeah, the people the council, that say, yeah, yeah they, they said this is what you do and if you didn't, then you were bad and you should, you know, you, you would be changed. They would re-educate you. Um, and so I know that the doctor's mother was one that didn't really want her son to be um, like, you know, she loved him and wanted him to be who he was. Um but, you know, you don't know exactly how everybody else feels about that. You know, who who benefits from the way the power structure is set up. And if you're rebelling against it, you're obviously not the one in power. But he's also such an incredibly good at everything. You know, the doctor is the doctor. that he's the one who survives. Mm. You know, the master as well. But you know, the doctor survives. The doctor survives. Uh, so going back to the bus, uh, just to briefly kind of touch on it, uh, while the rest of the inhabitants in the bus don't play a huge role, uh, it was nice to see, uh, one of the actors in there is the lead actor from that breakout movie called Get Out. Oh, cool. Cool. Uh, which was kind of interesting to see. Uh, I was like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, the rest of the episode, he doesn't get much play. And I was like... Well, that was a missed opportunity. <laughs> well, it was also a lot longer ago. Yeah. When was Get yeah. Out released? Yeah. yeah. I mean, because uh, he, he was also in an episode of uh, uh, Black Mirror. Um, mm. That was fantastic. Uh, and so he, I, I know because I've seen him, uh, you know, he's a great little actor. Uh, so it was, it was interesting to, to see him, uh, but then not to play out. Uh, similar... Uh, you know, we, we get uh, a little bit of uh, the doctor interacting with unit once again. Uh, and as always, you know, uh, earthbound uh, organizations tend to be, you know, suspect. And this is no Xenophobic. different. Yeah. You know, they're like, uh, we're just going to shoot everything. But the doctor, uh, you know what? Uh, we we can't we risk our own. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but the guy that plays the scientist... Mm-hmm. Uh, Malcolm is his name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that actor. Uh, and the only thing I can remember that actor being in—I know he's done other roles and and he's done other movies—but to me, he will always be the the pizza delivery guy from There's Something About Mary. 
Oh dear Lord. <laughs> <laughs> that is the same guy. Wow. And in the in in something about Mary, you know, when he's pretending to be this well-educated uh architect, because that's something that Mary is into. Uh, he speaks with his formal British accent. And then when he is revealed to be, you know, just nothing more than a pizza delivery guy, he speaks in this very messed up, like American accent. It's like, I love her, man. Uh, but as soon as he came on screen, I was like, oh my gosh, I love this guy. And he has that sort of frantic energy to him. That just like, yeah, of course, yes, he's going to be a scientist. That's the role he has to play in this. And a mad scientist at that. So right? Like he, like, he oh, names his you. own I stuff. Love... He's like, you right. named it after, after yourself. Himself. Yes. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. That, that takes that takes balls. It, right? It's yeah. like, and a hundred of them, It's a, is, is that your grandfather? No, that's just the name I gave it. Uh, <laughs> just, you know, very, very fun. Uh, and he has to deliver a lot of those gibbery, you know, gibberish lines of, I'm going to plug the flux capacitor into the flukikalulu. <laughs> yeah, and yet he came up with actual words. Right. It so was, yeah, as opposed that. to just gibberish. Like, it was, it was great. Like, the, this episode so it had some really good people in it. Um, it just, uh, you know, it was very, uh, at the end of it, it was a very simple, straightforward Doctor Who story. Yeah. Yeah, it was, like I was thinking, what I mentioned before we started recording, it's not the greatest episode. It's a, you know, it, it's fine. It serves itself as a backdoor pilot. You have characters that they've introduced that could go on to something. You know, the... Uh, the two young guys from the bus could very well, like we could see them. And when Russell T Davies comes, comes back, back to Dr. Yeah. Hill, <laughs> which I'm terribly excited about, I would not be surprised if he decides to dust off unit one more time. And then these guys reappear like, be, because yeah. that's the kind of person he is. Let's tie in the stuff that I did before. Let's tie it all together. Nice little bow and present it so that people know, that there is still continuity within this madcap universe that uh, that we live in. Yeah. Um, you know, I would be I'm I'm wouldn't be surprised if he did that. Um, I don't think that we're going to see uh, Michelle Ryan bringing back her character here. I just don't feel like it was quite meaty enough. You know, it's 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 interesting, but you know, there was never that sense of. Uh, high stakes mm -hmm. you know no matter what she did it was with a little bit of a um sarcastic comment and a big smile you know and yeah she's a very beautiful woman she's um it's just that she didn't seem like there was enough danger to her you know i know that she's she's been doing this all the time it's all about the adventure you're on a planet with things that will eat you you know, mm -hmm. this is this is still something to be a little bit concerned about. <laughs> yeah, I, I think she would uh, she would have been a great fit to uh, the Torchwood team. It seems. Yeah, that would have been fun if the Torchwood hadn't taken a weird turn. It would have been neat to have that uh, have her come with them because yeah, she would be better suited. You know, there was a lot of. Um, morally ambiguous characters in Torchwood, starting with, uh, with, with Jack, um, 
You know, Captain Jack. Captain Jack, he, yeah. Yeah, he was definitely, uh, you know, he was all in his own interest when we were introduced to him, and he becomes a better person because of his association with the doctor, as does everybody. Apparently. Yeah, that's that's the thing is you meet the doctor and you're either going to die or you're going to get better, <laughs> which seems very fit for a doctor. Yeah, uh, like, oh, so cancer. let's let's get into uh, some interesting uh, behind the scenes with uh, my favorite segment of this and every week, which is the TARDIS, Tardis tidbits. Tidbit. So, Ashley, take it away. This is Ashley's TARDIS tidbits for the 2009 special. Planet of the Dead. Michelle Ryan, who plays Lady Christina D'Souza, was actually in the running to play Rose back in 2005. Her casting in this episode also led to speculation that perhaps she would be the 11th Doctor's companion as well. There were two buses that were used for filming in this episode. One was in Cardiff, and one was shipped over to Dubai to film the desert scenes. However, when it was being sent there, the second bus was badly damaged by a crane. Instead of sending the other undamaged bus, the film crew had the idea to send photos of the damage back to Cardiff so the crew there could make similar changes to that bus so that they would match up. Then the script was altered to have the bus suffer damage as it passed through the portal to San Helios, serving as a warning of how dangerous it was to pass through the gateway. Adam James, who plays Macmillan, is the godson of the third Doctor, John Pertwee, and has been best friends with David Tennant since they played Brothers in 1999. Writer Gareth Roberts noted that the character of Malcolm, quote, unintentionally became a loving caricature of Doctor Who fandom. Malcolm's clothing as he leaves his laboratory is similar to the fourth Doctor, and the scarf that he's wearing as he leaves the van is based on the doctor's pinstripe suit. The number on the bus, 200, is a reference to the fact that this episode is advertised as Doctor Who's 200th story. Russell T. Davies has described this episode as, quote, a great big adventure, a little bit Indiana Jones, a little bit Flight of the Phoenix, and a little bit Pitch Black. He has said that the relationship between the Doctor and Christina was influenced by 1960s films like Charade, where Cary Grant and Audrey Hepburn, quote, are being witty and sophisticated together and then running for their lives. On the commentary for this episode, David Tennant says that the prophecy means that the Doctor's card had become marked and that the three remaining specials would thus be darker, saying that Planet of the Dead is, quote, the last time the doctor gets to have any fun. Spoilers. Oh, we're back to it. We have it. Spoilers. <laughs> uh, but wow. I mean, talk about uh, like everything in that. Tid like Ashley, this is why I love having the tidbits. Every time <laughs> I learn something new and uh, it makes me appreciate and want to go back and watch the episode again now. Um, I definitely got that Indiana Jones vibe from this episode. Certainly the sand uh, mm. helped out. Um, <laughs> but uh, talk about making uh, making lemonade out of lemons. You know, your, your, your hero prop gets damaged. So eh, we'll just uh, write it into the story. 
Well, it made it a better story. Yeah. Yeah. It's like there was real risk. And, you know, the idea that, okay, we got these guys trying to figure out how to fix the bus running out of petrol, Mm -hmm. which is gasoline for those not (laughs) British people. Um, And then for those of us that seceded. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All of us, uh, um, former colony. But um, then they have the, uh, like that whole Mission Impossible thing, grab the, the stuff, uh, the gem, this crystal at the bottom of that shaft, bring that back up, throw away the crystal. But you, <laughs> yeah, you're after the anti-grav uh, moving units. It's like, oh, okay. So now you've got this woman with a questionable moral center having a flying bus right. <laughs> that she can go around. So she could have all these amazing adventures. So that wouldn't be surprised if somebody in the rather uh, prolific authors for the books of Doctor Who, somebody's probably got that you know story with Christina Del Souza uh, out there someplace. Because right. I know the the Jadun <laughs> were a, the subject of a wonderful uh, book that could have been a beautiful spinoff from the show. It would have been a, I would have happily watched that, you know, a detective uh, rhino man and his uh, little female companion. That was, you know, there's some good stuff that comes from these weird little episodes. <laughs> that's, uh, that's part of why I, I really do uh, really love the show in that the universe that it creates it's just so fertile with other stories, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it's it, everywhere it takes you. It creates this entire new set of possibilities, uh, and you know where do the you know fly looking people come from? Like, what's their motivation? What's going on? Like, there could be an entire story around that for them. Uh, it's just. It's, it's wonderful. The, and the, the five people, I mean, talk about that is classic Doctor Who character, some creature mm-hmm. that is like, oh, it's a human wearing a jumpsuit, but he's got on a mask or a rubber head and some kind of funky gloves. Great. There we go. That's enough. Yeah, that's I like, mean, that, that's, 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 that's it. what they do. <laughs> exactly. That's what they do. And in my opinion, that's what makes the show so much fun, so unpredictable each week. And, you know, something that uh, just keeps me back wanting more. So uh, having watched this whole episode, I know uh, Ashley teased a little bit of... Spoilers. So is there anything that I missed? Anything else that you'd like to point out, Mr. Expert? Well... No, not really, because we're going we're going to get into the dark stuff in the next couple of episodes. You know, it wraps up this amazing run by a truly extraordinary performer. Mm-hmm. Um, also ends the run of Russell T. Davies Russell on T. the show. Davies. So you have like it's it's kind of a bittersweet thing. You know, they they knew that uh, it's always better to step away while the audience still wants more and let somebody else beat the franchise into the ground if they so chose. But this episode itself was just on that lighter side. You know, it wasn't, um, they may have said, Oh, he was having more fun here, but I also don't think it was a particularly important episode. And I don't think there's anything that happens in this one that 
transcends the actual episode itself into other things. I don't think we get that. So, so what the, the lady that can hear the dead gives him mm. a warning at the end. She says he will knock four times. Mm-hmm. He will knock mm-hmm. four times. Yep. Is that bum, going bum, to bum, pay off? Spoilers. There we go, everybody. So let, let's buckle up. Uh, thanks so much for joining me in this uh, fun Indiana Jones-esque episode, Mr. Sweetman. You are very welcome. <laughs> and, you know, just listen for the knocking. It comes from where you don't expect. Mm, well, we'll keep, we'll keep an eye out for it, but... Thank you, dear listener, for once again making it to the end of another exciting first time, Lord. As always, uh, your support is greatly appreciated. So swing on by to firsttimelord.com. There you can find this episode and leave a comment on it or find previous episodes and leave a comment on them. Uh, I love <clears throat> I love hearing from you guys. It's super exciting when I do. Uh, so go on by and do that uh if you want to support the show we do have a little merch section there you can get some t-shirts uh some phone cases uh and we got some uh holiday stuff coming up since the holidays uh are upon us once again so check that out uh also at firsttimelord.com If merchandise is not your thing, but you want to support the show, you can click on the link that will take you to our Patreon page or search for Daniel Levain on Patreon and uh, become a subscriber that way. Uh, That way you can support the show in that fashion. Or most importantly, just find somebody else that enjoys or you think would enjoy Doctor Who the way that I am enjoying it for the first time and share the love, share the podcast and say, hey, check this out. You might find uh, this guy's perspective interesting. And if anything, the TARDIS tidbits every week stump some of my even best experts uh, with knowledge that just seems to flow out of Ashley as if she were the time vortex herself but i am out of time this week and i guess i better emotionally prepare myself because there are some dark times ahead so i'm gonna jump back into my tardis and head on over to next week for some more doctor who adventures see you next week everybody Bum, bum, bum.